0: Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to The Stories We Tell. Just as a reminder, all of these episodes can be found on my YouTube channel, which I'll have linked in the show notes for each episode. Just wanted to put that out there in case you'd rather watch in video form. All right, that said, let's get into it. Medicinal mushroom extracts and tinctures are all the rage right now. If you listened to the last episode with Alex Dorr of Mushroom Revival, you got an inside scoop into this world. My guest today is Hernan Castro of Desert Alchemist, and he has a really unique approach to creating these extracts in which he forages wild medicinal mushrooms in the Arizona area and creates tinctures that combine compatible properties into one super extract. For instance, his Brain Boost tincture combines Lion's Mane, Mesema, Honey Mushroom, Snow Fungus, Rosemary, Cauliflower Mushroom, and a whole lot more. Um, So you know, rather than most extract producers, which tend to stick to one mushroom in each extract, um, Hernan really uh, gives you the most bang for your buck. Hernan has a really interesting story of how he got into this extract producing world. Um, and it involves his father going through some really challenging health difficulties um, and Hernan learning basically how to create uh, tinctures to help him with that. And uh, it's a really actually an inspiring story. So I hope you'll um, stick around and listen to Hernan talk about that. We also talk about Hernan's background in chemistry and how that relates to his tincture producing and how that relates to his extract producing as well as Hernan's hopes for the future of what he wants to get into next. So um, please stick around and real quick, just want to get some housekeeping notes in. If you enjoy the podcast, I really would appreciate it if you would subscribe and rate or review on whichever platform you're listening to. This really helps with um, smaller podcasts such as myself, getting off the ground, improving our search results and things like that. Um, And then I just wanted to throw a quick shout out to everybody who came to the launch party last Saturday. Um, It was a lot of fun. We did some mushroom trivia. Uh, I had all my merch out, which um, I sold one of them. (laughs) And then also uh, congrats to Christian Angelos, if you're listening. He was the one who won the t-shirt giveaway on Instagram. Um, I do have episode four in the works, so stay tuned for that. Um, That has been recorded, and I really enjoyed that conversation. I won't spoil who it is or what it's about, but um, definitely want everybody to check that one out. It's one of my favorites that I've done. I'm going to be out of town for a little while on a family trip in Michigan. After I get back, I'm really going to ramp up my mushroom production. So if you're interested in purchasing um, any kind of mushroom, uh, I'm growing all all sorts of stuff. And um, I'm also going to be making my own extracts. Um, so that'll be a, a long term project. My fun fact of the day I learned a new term yesterday moop. It stands for matter out of place, which basically just means trash. <laughs> um, so it's used as a verb also, which means to pick up trash. For instance, I was volunteering with the Green Team at Underground Music Showcase over the weekend, and my supervisor asked me to do a moop of the Porta Potty area. And, um, You know, having porta potty in the head and hearing moop, uh, my mind went in a different direction. But I asked her to clarify, and she told me this uh, little insider term. Um, So that's that's your that's your fun fact. Go use that around your house when you're cleaning up trash, doing a moop just uh, a funny little thing that I enjoyed. So anyways, let's get into the episode. Um, Thank you all for tuning in. And here is my conversation with Hernan Castro of Desert Alchemist. Yay! (laughs) Now joining me, Hernan Castro. He is a mushroom forager and extract maker based in Arizona, um, which I found interesting when I learned, I'm like, Arizona, there's mushrooms (laughs) in Arizona, there's mushrooms everywhere. But like, I I was picturing desert, but um, I listened to one of your other podcasts talking about um, it's up in the mountains where it gets more, more moisture. So yeah, man, uh, do you want to just give a, a little bit of an intro to yourself and talk about um, how you got started with desert alchemist.
1: Sure. Yeah. So, uh, I started growing mushrooms back in 2012. My brother helped me learn how to grow. He, he kind of like forced me sort of to, to learn how to grow this, you know, mushrooms. I didn't, I wasn't really into it back then, but he uh, bought me all the materials. He dumped it all on me and he was like, here, just follow these steps. And I was like, okay, well, I didn't want to but I'll, I'll try it so i tried it and i was it got me curious i tried it many times i kept failing i could send him in pictures and he would say oh yeah that's bacteria that's mold blah 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 eventually i got the mycelium and he was like yeah that's mycelium And i was like okay well now what and he was like well now you gotta now you gotta make your substrate and build a footing chamber i was like okay so got really into it and then he kind of he kind of learned and stayed at the beginner level and i went like all the way in and i started growing all kinds of different stuff a couple years later my father had suffered three strokes you know he suffered a big stroke and then he you know he lost some movement he had some memory and speech problems not too long after maybe like a month he suffered a second stroke and then it was followed by a third one, so that now we were really concerned because um, he was he was half paralyzed on his side of his body, his right side. Uh, couldn't use his hand anymore. Uh, couldn't speak or remember people's names or names of places and things like that. Um, so it got me really worried. We took him to the ho- to the hospital and they did an MRI. And they basically showed me all the slices of his brain, you know, piece by piece. And the doctor was showing me the parts that had lost blood. And he said that basically those parts of the brain were were gone, you know, they lost blood, the, the tissue has died and it's gone forever. So, and he showed me these other little white sections of the brain and he was like, these two white sections are the new strokes they're eventually going to turn black and um, he'll lose this tissue as well and i said well what can we do can we help you know like is there something that can help him regenerate this tissue um is he going to be able to like move again like how what's going to happen so the doctor basically said, no, you know, once the brain's damaged, there's no coming back. You know, the brain can't regenerate, it doesn't heal. So this is permanent damage. He might recover a little bit on his own. He might learn to um, use different parts of the brain to take over these parts, but mostly he's gonna be like this for for the rest of his life. And uh, I didn't like that answer because they gave me a definite no like it can't heal and I was like wow there's got to be there's like there's got to be a way to heal the brain I don't I don't believe there's just no way at all it just doesn't heal so I started doing a lot of research uh looking into all sorts of procedures um stem cell therapy was one of them um but it was expensive it was invasive and it wasn't a guaranteed success you know success rate pretty bad it was like 50 50 chances and you know it was like ten thousand dollars and uh didn't want to take that you know those odds so i started looking into a lot of other other procedures and all these other theories um but i kept finding studies on lion's mane so lion's mane was popping up in a lot of studies from NIH, uh, NCBI. And these were studies that were done in uh, certain universities and um, certain scientific industries, but mostly from Asia. So I kept finding these studies where they were using lion's mane to regrow nerve tissue, to regrow neurons. There was a study where they used it and injected some of these uh, terpenes or diterpenoids from lion's mane into the spinal fluid of children that had spinal damage and it regenerated them. So reading all this stuff, I was like, this uh, mushroom sounds like it's working on multiple organisms, including humans. I think we're gonna have to go with this one, you know? And so I showed my dad all these studies, he read them all and he got really excited. And so I told my dad, I said, I don't know where this mushroom comes from i think it only grows in china and japan so um, if you're interested i can see if i can find the culture online and hopefully i can grow it i've never grown anything like this but if i can't find it you know I'll i'll buy it i'll import it however i can we'll get it to you if you really want to try this and he was very excited and he says i'm willing to try whatever so i found some cultures online from a previous um website that used to sell magic mushroom they only sell ma- magic mushroom spores they happen to have a lion's mane strain so i ordered it and i had never grown lion's mane before so i was a little nervous you know i was used to growing mushrooms that uh grow on um cocoa corn peat moss you know i wasn't used to growing something that grows directly off of a tree so I didn't know it was easy or hard so I I got the culture came in the mail I inoculated some grains and I was like okay I'm just gonna let this grow and once it's fully colonized I'll you know I'll cross that bridge when we get there and I'll figure out what to do next well I left it in the closet for a couple weeks and when I came back it was already fruiting on the grain. And I was like, wow, that was way easier (laughs) than I expected. So I harvested the mushrooms. And then I had to do more research because in in all these studies, they were using uh, methanolic extracts, they were using like benzene, um, all of these really good um, nonpolar extracts or solvents, but they were toxic, you know, to some degree for humans. So, um i didn't want to risk giving my dad something that might harm him more so i did it i did some research and i guess the best option that i could find was using ethanol Mm -hmm. like a really high grade ethanol that wouldn't harm him uh wouldn't be toxic like the other stuff uh and during this time my grandfather had passed away this is back in like 2015 now he passed away and he left me a book on herbalism. And it was it was just kind of a strange thing for him to leave me because he was a engineer and um, he built airplanes. He was very technical guy. So for him to have something that, that has to do with like herbalism and, and making natural medicine, it seemed kind of out of place. But I got that book from him. And I read it and it gave instructions on how to make soaps, lotion, tinctures, extracts, um, ointments, all, all sorts of stuff. And I was like, well, it's kind of similar to what these scientists were doing in their experiments. It's basically similar process, but a little more primitive. I, I read all different sorts of methods of extracting. And I came up with my own uh, because of my chemistry background. I figured out some things that most herbalists don't really know about uh, or don't care to look into. But anyways, I made my first extract. Took me, this whole process took about six months to get everything together, the growing and the processing. But I got him a tincture and or an extract and I told my dad, I said, you have to take this extract three times a day or more if you can. And it has to be, you know, morning, noon and evening. You can't miss a single dose. Some of these experiments take a long time. Uh, It could take years. So don't get discouraged. If it doesn't help you, it's not gonna hurt you. So just keep taking it. And he did, He, he did it religiously every day. A year later, after taking it, he had regained 98, 99 percent of his mobility, wow. his speech. That's amazing. Yeah, his speech and his memory also improved. Um, but at the six-month mark is when we started noticing that he was gaining mobility on his hands. It started with some fingers, and then his hand, his arm. Uh, the last thing that he regenerated, or that he got, he he gained, um, that we noticed was. The sensation on his face it wasn't drooping anymore and he regained sensation on his lip and he regained sensation in his toes which was like the last thing we noticed um so he made a 99 percent recovery except for his index so he still can't really he can move it but he can't it's not very strong so um he he can't he can't sign things properly but everything else came back and so that event galvanized me to look into other medicinal mushrooms and then of course i started taking the lion's mane myself started taking it like crazy and uh i noticed with me after a long time of taking it it helped me with social anxiety with a lot of Mm. a lot of focus and yeah social anxiety that i had before um, because i used to be super shy for some reason i couldn't probably wouldn't be doing a podcast or speaking in public. Uh, (laughs) I was
0: the same, yeah, yeah. in high school.
1: So I did something in my brain, something in my brain clicked and it was awesome. And I got really, really into medicinal mushrooms. It was like my obsession. And that summer after all this happened, my grandmother called me and she said, Hey, there's this big um, organ, you know, this big um, scientific mushroom, conference happening in northern Arizona it's called the North American Mycological Society they're having a foray and they're doing some presentations will you go there if I buy you a ticket and I and I was like yeah hell yeah you know (laughs) so she bought me a ticket she says all you have to do is drive yourself up there and you know just find the place so she got me this ticket I went up there and there was a lot of speakers there were some chefs that were cooking some really interesting um, food with mushrooms they, um, they had created a bolit blueberry bolete ice cream and there were some speakers who had written books on agaricus and amanita and so it was, a, it was a really amazing conference and i got to go foraging and during that foray some people brought some lion's mane and some Reishi and all this stuff that I had read about in books and online that I thought was only in Japan. And I was like, oh my God, it's here. It blew my mind. So it was like really cool. And it helped me kickstart my knowledge for, uh, and passion to start foraging myself. And so I came back home to Tucson, which is all desert here. it is desert, like you thought it's super deserty right, yeah. you have a mountain close by it's only like forty five minutes and you get... on the way up to the mountain um there's all sorts of different habitats, so you start with like desert, highland desert, grassland, riparian, oakland, juniper, um ponderosa, mixed conifer, and aspen and old growth at the very top. so you have all these different habitats where it creates um, a special niche for each type of organism that you can find from here all the way to Canada. And so um, this mountain has the largest diversity of fungi in the country, and I didn't know that. So when I came back here, I went up there. I was like, hey, well, Mount Lemon kind of has you know, the same habitat as the White Mountains, where, where we did that conference. So I went up there and I started finding lots of reishi, lion's mane, turkey tail, all the medicinals that I loved. And uh, I started foraging, started, started, yeah, started harvesting and foraging and learning more about different species. And that's basically how I got started.
0: Wow, man, that's a, that's an awesome story. And so cool that like, after hearing such like finite uh, news about your dad, that you were able to, to help him out that way. Um, so let's, let's talk a little bit about like what sorts of fungi you find, um, during, doing these forays in Arizona. Um, I noticed like a lot of your extracts, which, um, if you're listening, Hernan does extracts that are mostly like 90% wild forage. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So like, uh, what, what kinds of, of fungi do you find up there? And, um, I know there's like a lot of lesser known ones that that I didn't even <laughs> really know when I was looking at your website. Um, yeah. is there, is there any research on those in terms of like the medicinal benefits that, uh, a lot of the more well-known, like Rishi
1: or lion's mane has? There are, there's lots that have a lot of research as well. And for some reason, all the hype is only behind the lion's mane, the chaga, rishi, turkey tail, cordyceps, everything else. Yeah the big fat yeah. grown in the, in the back burner but there's a lot of research on other mushrooms there's a lot of new fungi that have potential uh, benefits really great benefits and there's there's books out there i read a lot from the international journal of medicinal mushroom research which is basically a compilation of studies from all over the world and a lot of these studies focus on other mushrooms that are not just those top five and um i read sections of it because if you want to like have access to the full thing it costs like a thousand bucks but it's all the studies from all over the world uh and they talk about multiple uh, mushrooms and it's very useful and um sometimes you know when i see a mushroom i can just tell that it has something unique about it and i go look it up and sure enough there's research behind it but the fungal pharmacy is another book that i reference sometimes that one includes all kinds of mushrooms even toxic ones medicinal uses but the way the information is presented is kind of like not very organized and they just kind of throw all these studies at you and they don't really focus on like the main property of the mushroom, they just kind of throw all of it at you. So you have to sort through it and, and uh, choose what 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 you think is the most uh, important quality. But yeah, if we, we have all kinds of different fungi here. Like we have different, so I, like in my reishi extract, I just put down that it's Ganoderma lucetum I'm changing that now because in reality, I use four different species of Ganoderma or five in that extract. So when people are buying my Reishi, they're getting five different uh, types of Reishi. They're getting the Lucidum, which I grow, then they're getting Ganoderma tsuga, they're getting Ganoderma polychromum, Ganoderma cecile, and Ganoderma phallax. And sometimes I throw Ganoderma aplanatum in there so they're getting a a mix of different species uh, that have their own unique terpenes. They're, they're not always the same, um, but yeah, we have all those mushrooms here. We basically have everything except for maitake, shiitake and chaga. So down here, everything else grows within uh, these sky islands, which are basically the mountain ranges here in Southern Arizona that have those unique habitats we can basically find almost every species of uh, fungi that you can find anywhere else they're very unique
0: yeah yeah i mean just looking at your website there's like a a shocking variety and a lot of like really unique ones um do, do you ever start to cultivate any of the mushrooms that you find in the wild or are you more just
1: like going out and foraging out most of your ingredients. No, we do because um I like to well I have a extensive library of spores. So I take a lot of spore prints from wild ones. So I have um probably 200 different species in spore print. You go girl. You go girl. We also um clone a lot of the species that grow here. So we have wild lion's mane from different mountain ranges here. We have wild oysters. Um, The reishis, we have them, even though some of these take a year to fruit, we still have the cultures. So I try to cultivate and uh, retain some of those genetics of, of things that we find out here in Arizona. And I do sell some of those online. So you can, if you go on my website, I don't know if we have it on, at desertalchemist.com, but I know they, there's some on Etsy. But I think if you look in my, yeah, in my culture library, you might find some that are local. It'll say, um, Mount lemon. Yeah. So they're there and we have a lot more. I just don't have, I haven't had the time to upload like all the cultures that I have. Right.
0: Yeah. That's super cool, man. Um, do you, so I am looking at your extract page and the one that's popping out to me, well, it's the best seller. So I guess not that interesting of me to ask, but <laughs> the, the brain boost, uh, memory and nerve support, um, could you just talk a little bit about that one? And like, uh, the, some of the other ingredients besides lion's mane, because that's the, the one that I think of, but then you've also got honey mushrooms, snow fungus, Masima. A bunch of other cauliflower mushroom, um, yeah. So, like, how how did you come up with that formula?
1: Researching what is the best for the brain and what fungi were being studied when it comes to uh, supporting neurological and nerve system issues, and so I, I started. I came up with at the beginning it was just lion's mane, the cauliflower. The honey mushroom, and I think the snow fungus those were the first four that I started with. Uh, because they were used in in different methods. So like the cauliflower mushroom was used for stroke prevention and supporting neurological disorders. So that I uh, basically based off of what I thought would be better for my dad. so i I put that in there, put the lion's mane. Uh, and I actually use lion's mane, coral tooth and bear's head in that. I just got lazy, I guess, didn't add those to the list, but they're in there. Um, the honey mushroom is also a fungus that contains tryptophan and serotonin. It's a really, really good uh, neurological tonic. So it's, it was used in the past to prevent tremors. And so I thought it would make a great addition, just to enhance the properties of the lion's wing. and um, and then the the snow fungus is also another one that is really good for the brain. So I came, I I, I picked my favorites out of all the ones that were researched, and I put them together, and then I added uh, ginkgo biloba, bacopa, gotu kola, rosemary, cat's claw, and the Chinese club moss, which contains Hooperzine and was, you know, thought to be like the next Alzheimer's potential cure. So I threw all that together and made the brain boost. It's one of my favorite extracts.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the reason I am interested in it is I have had for the past like five years, chronic nerve pain in my feet. I haven't been to a doctor recently because it's been getting a little bit better, but they thought it was, um, small fiber peripheral neuropathy. Um, so I was like looking at alternative ways to treat that and lion's mane came up. Um, so I, well, I actually started taking lion's mane from, um, fungi perfecti, which is Paul Stamets company. And I just noticed recently that it's the myceliated grain rather yeah. than the fruiting body yeah um so so if, for those of you listening who don't know what i'm talking about uh a lot of companies will kind of take shortcuts and yeah. uh, make their extracts from the mycelium and the grain so it's like a lot of just filler material material that doesn't really have a lot of potency but if you do your research you can find um things like desert alchemist or the one I'm taking now um, is called like Real Mushrooms. Uh, and and those, you and other companies that are doing it right, are, are using the actual mushrooms, the actual fruiting bodies. Um, do you have any like additional thoughts beyond what I said about that?
1: Yeah, well, I love Paul Stemmets. I don't wanna hate on him. I know, me too. Uh, <laughs> but, but the extracts, um... I, I don't know. I think what happened, I think it's, I think he sold out or sold the company. I'm not sure, but that's what I've heard is that he sold the company. So the people that are making the extracts are just, you know, they're making, they're selling it all over the country. So, They have a problem with supply. And so, what they do is, you know, they grow, you know, they take a big bag of grains, they inoculate it with mycelium. And once it's colonized, they may or may not let it fruit. Um, But either way, they take that whole bag and they grind all those grains up and make your extract with that. The grains are just filler, basically. And if you do some research, the online you know paul stamets i don't know why he says this because there's research to contradict it but he states that the mycelium can has more medicinal metabolites than the fruiting body which is not true Uh, there's only uh, one or two methods of cultivating the mycelium in a way that will make it produce Close enough of a level of metabolites that compares to a fruiting body, but it doesn't include all the metabolites and it's not the same um, as a fruiting body the fruiting body produces a great number of metabolites. Um, and so the, the, the only way to cultivate the, the mycelium to get it to do that is through a special um, fermentation uh, process and I have it written down here. I did a lot of research on this because it was was very important to me. Um, I don't remember it off the top of my head, but it's, um, I I can, we can talk about it another time, but it's a special way to um, cultivate the mycelium that gets it to produce more metabolites. And um, it still doesn't compare to a fruiting body. So the fruiting body produces more compounds than the mycelium, so that right, right off the bat there, you're already getting less. Just with the grains and the mycelium, you're getting a significant amount less of the compounds that you want. And um, the wild species produce more metabolites than um, lab-grown mushrooms, because lab-grown mushrooms are grown in perfectly, or almost perfectly sterile conditions where they don't have natural light, which causes them to produce a different array of compounds. But also, um, you know, it doesn't. They don't have the pressure from external stimuli to make them produce metabolites. So in the wild, like uh, a mushroom is uh, dealing with weather issues, it's dealing with viruses, fungi, bacteria uh it's dealing with other organisms that are always attacking the mushroom and so it has to make antifungals make antivirals antibacterials to fight off all these organisms and stay alive and so they just produce you know uh you know they're like a powerhouse of medicinal compounds so wild forage is number one uh lab ground is number two and then the third option would be mycelium but i I don't even I wouldn't even bother with that myself.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um I I just didn't really feel much of anything when I was taking that. And you know, I only took it for a month because then I discovered this this uh research about mycelium. I didn't even see it on the packaging initially. <laughs> they kind of make it really small, probably on purpose. Um
1: Yeah. But
0: yeah, so a lot of
1: companies go ahead. Oh sorry, no, a lot of companies do that. They they, um, Because it has mycelium, they can legally say it's lion's mane or reishi. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of misleading. And a lot of people fall for that, unfortunately. Yep. But to of elaborate of- on, on, the, on the extracts and also on mushroom products, another problem uh, arises when it comes to using the mushroom. So a lot of companies, they take a fruiting body, and they grind it up and sell it as a powder. And that ideally would seem like a great idea, but because most of the compounds that are inside mushrooms are found inside the cell walls, the cell walls are primarily made out of chitin. I'm sure you know this, but yeah, the chitin is like uh, the mushroom version of cellulose or fiber, and we can't digest it. So if you're taking all these mushroom pills, you're gonna they're gonna go right through you most of mostly you might absorb some of the compounds that that were exposed when it was ground but you also need to consider that yeah we have to break down this chitin wall to get access to the medicine so just taking ground up mushrooms is also not a good idea you have to get it in an extract form whether it's a powder or liquid extract that's that's what i recommend to people
0: yeah So why is it that, um, when you take, uh, psilocybin mushrooms, you can just eat them or or grind them into a powder and put it in tea. You don't really need to go through all the extraction process to get like the active compounds. Do you know why that's
1: different than medicinal mushrooms? yeah because the the psilocybin are so small they can come in and out of the cell membrane Ah. and i don't necessarily think they're found inside the cells um, because when you squeeze the mushroom you can see it all over so i think um it's found just in the tissue or you know around the tissue Uh, it's very tiny i always had questions about that too i was like how come when you eat those it hits you? pretty fast. I, I think that's why. But you know, like stuff in reishi, uh, the, these fungal sugars, these polysaccharides are huge, you know, they're, they're not something that could easily come in and out of the the cell walls or or the um, the blood and brain barrier.
0: Yeah. So speaking of your extract process, I know that you have a background in chemistry. So um, I would take that to mean you know what you're doing when it comes to making extracts. Can you just like uh, walk me through like your process and maybe any like tips or advice that you have for people just getting started?
1: Yeah, well, I can't reveal everything. Because it's sure. Yeah, proprietary. But I, I can give you some clues as to um, some things that you can do that will save you a lot of pain and time because okay yeah Perfect. so in the beginning uh, i did it the most primitive way possible which is just you know you take a mushroom this is what the herbalists say in their books and this is how they still do it they've been doing this since the times of the ancient egyptians they haven't changed their formula i don't know why because you know surely we've advanced but they, they're still doing it. <laughs> so they basically take a jar and they stick plant material in there and they fill it with, they use vodka. Um, I started using the highest form of Everclear because I wanted to get as close to methanol or uh, any kind of nonpolar compound as possible. So the closest thing I could find is uh, ethanol. Which would be Everclear, like 190 proof, which is super strong. And uh, ethanol is not entirely nonpolar. It's kind of like in the middle, it does both. But if you get a high enough grade of it, it can be more efficient at pulling the nonpolar stuff. So they take a, a jar, they stick their herbs in there, and they fill it up with ethanol or vodka or whatever, and they let it sit there for three months. And so at the beginning I was trying that and I was like this kind of sucks like I have to wait 3 months to have my extracts made it's going to take you know way too long if there's a demand I won't be able to fulfill it properly
0: so Hernan finds himself at a bit of a crossroads here he knows that 3 months is way too long and and in his gut he knows that it can be shortened but he doesn't really know how so, he goes on this big journey through the online community, on Reddit, he actually reaches out to Paul Stamets at one point, reviews pharmacological books, and none of it is really all that helpful. Um, what ends up kind of flipping the switch for him is he remembers an experiment he did in chemistry, a very basic chemical uh, experiment where you dissolve sugar or salt in water until it's fully saturated, and then... Once you add any more, uh, it can't take it because it's saturated and it starts to crystallize inside the water. So what he takes away from that is once a solution, in this case a mushroom extract, is fully saturated with compounds from the mushroom, it doesn't really matter how long it sits there, it won't extract anything else. So if you have the right properties in your extract, you can really skip almost the whole waiting period down to uh, just about a week from three months. Um, So somebody give this guy
1: an award because uh, what a a discovery. (laughs) So I'll I'll elaborate on that. So basically the, the, the herbalists also, they just take a plant, they chop it up a little bit and they stick it in the, in the, in the water, in the ethanol. Well, Another thing that I realize is that if you actually grind up the material to the finest possible powder that you can get, you, um, you expose the the material to a, a higher surface area, so you can extract more things faster. And if you also have it in in a condition where it's constantly being disturbed, and it's in motion somehow, that enables all the compounds to come out way faster. So it brings it down to about a week. You could do it even in two weeks if you wanted to. So um, I started figuring all this out and started changing the way that I made my extract. So um, there are special conditions or or, uh, equipment that, that can spin or rotate the, the solvents while it's extracting. And that makes it come out way faster. So I, you know, I kind of skipped all the, all the traditional processes and that's how my extracts are made is with these certain criteria that, that help the, the compounds come out faster. And so um, once they're done extracting an ethanol then we filter them and we put them in water and the easiest way for a beginner to do this would be to filter the powders uh stick it in a crock pot on low heat and let it cook for uh, i don't know a good eight hours or so maybe a whole day if you wanted to and then at the end of that you boiled out the material or not boiled but it's gotten hot enough where it's going to extract and not degrade the compounds um, And then you combine the different extracts together at the end and you have a really high quality extract compared to the traditional ways
0: that's interesting have you like tested your extracts to see what um, level of compounds are in there
1: i haven't done the potency part i've done for like uh, i've tested for contaminants but Mm. not for that actually i'm talk i've been talking to a friend that works in a lab and basically what it boils down to is I need to or they need to buy a template that can test for one compound so I have to do one compound at a time and it's going to be expensive but hopefully they start buying the templates for each thing so that we can test for that because that would be really cool if I had the money I would be doing it right now
0: yeah for sure um, um cool that is, yeah that's a really interesting process. Uh, You seem a lot different (laughs) than a lot of the uh, extract producers out there, just like all the mushrooms that you combine and then your your chemistry background. So
1: another thing that I noticed when I was looking up other people's extracts, for some reason, they all just focus on one ingredient. They Mm -hmm. do you know, just uh, let's say if it's something for sleep, they just do valerian, or they do lavender, uh, or this and that. And nobody at the time, you know, when I first got started, it, I didn't, couldn't really find many companies that were doing what I do, where I mix. It just made more sense for me to mix all the things that help with sleep into one container rather than doing just one thing separately. So I did a lot of research and I picked, you know, the best things, in my opinion, with the most research, put them together and made all these extracts so i think that's the other thing that made my company unique i noticed that some companies are starting to do that now but for the most part they like stick with one ingredient and i don't really understand um uh, why do that when you can combine um and have a combine different ingredients and have a more synergistic effect
0: So I know one of your popular products is the mushroom coffee. I think that's like probably the most popular just overall in the, in the industry. Um, it's pretty huge right now. What, what is, uh, what's going into your mushroom coffee and like, uh, how, how is it different than just like your regular old cup of Joe?
1: Well, for the coffee, it is, it is our best. I think it's our number one seller, even out of the extracts, I think, or they might be tied. But I think it, it's our best seller. So um our coffee is infused with the extract of the mushrooms that I pick in the mountains. So we have our, our best seller is the Seven Guardians, which is um chaga, Rishi, Turkey Tail, Lion's Mane, Maitake, Masima, and the red-belted conch. Um, the Maitake and the Chaga I get from uh, either New York, or what's the other place? Or Canada, I guess, or Alaska. So um, sometimes I go out of state and harvest, but I have friends that can that I can buy these mushrooms from that are wild harvested, and I put them together, and so we make the extract, and we infuse the coffee, um, and I get a really good quality coffee from Mexico, from Oaxaca. It's shade grown up in the mountains. It's got a great flavor. So we infused that with the extract of the mushrooms and uh, surprisingly works really well. And so we went with it and we've been making it for a while now. And it's it's a great quality product. It's our best seller. it's different from other coffee products because your regular cup of joe is just gonna have caffeine so the people the growers that grow our coffee allow the the beans to ripen so most coffee companies they take the the beans while they're still green and they roast them that way and serve it to you when the beans are green like that they high they have a high level of tannic acid so it's a lot of tannic acid little caffeine but if you let the beans ripen and turn red the caffeine levels go up the tannic acid levels go down so um th- I think that's why a lot of coffee out there messes up your stomach because it's got that high tannic acid levels. Ours does not ours has more caffeine, less tannic acid. We take that, which is already already a great product alone, and we add the extracts so we add the we add the mushrooms which will enhance immune system or support different systems in the body and just that just makes it a million times better than your regular coffee.
0: One other thing I noticed looking at your extracts, it looks like you have a lot of uh, non-mushroom ad- things that you add in. Yeah. Um, so, so like, uh, do you do you forage for all of that stuff too?
1: I try to as much as I can, but sometimes I have to buy it online. Sometimes I have to yeah. order it. Some of these ingredients um, I can't find in the mountain ranges here. So, but I'm trying to change that because I grow a lot of the plants when so when i first got started with mushrooms i started with you know the top top five mushrooms and then i started including including more mushrooms making these blends and then i started getting really interested in the herbs because they also have really great properties and sometimes um, better they're better at doing certain things than mushrooms are so i figured why not put them together we, I started combining all these really interesting plants that I research and i now I've gotten into the whole you know herbalism as well and and botany because i I study plants now I started with just with mushrooms but now i I study both a lot of these blends I really like um like the sleep one I get my valerian up in Mount lemon we have a lot of wild valerian here um it's not the same species as the traditional valerian that's used for sleep but uh it's a different species but it still works and smells exactly the same and there's tons of it here so i harvest that and i put it in the sleep spell right
0: yeah that makes sense moving on from your tinctures and extracts i also uh, am interested in hearing about your leading forays it looks like um sometimes three times a week in mount lemon uh so what, what got you started with that and like What's your favorite part of doing that, and maybe like some of the things that you like to uh, teach people when when you go on these forays?
1: Well, what got me started was I was doing it as a hobby at first, because I was finding you know mushrooms that I was using in my extracts, and um, <clears throat> when I would set up at the farmers market, I would um, I would bring a couple of fruiting bodies, you know, that I found in the mountains, and I'd set them up on display, and so people would always ask me all these questions about mushrooms where i was getting them i would you know i would just tell them you know i get them in the mountain i go find them myself in the mountains um they grow around here you know surprisingly you know lion's mane right in our back door and blah 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 people were getting really really interested in in that and they were offering to pay me they were saying hey well i'll pay you 200 dollars or whatever You know, they were just making outrageous um (laughs) offers um to come with me they're like can you please take me i want to see this you know i want to i want to find i want to learn about these mushrooms so uh eventually enough people kept bugging me about it that i just said okay i'll i'll bring you guys so i started um organizing forays officially i think in 2018 um and it was a it was a great time i had a lot of fun people loved it they were seeing they were interested in anything you know kind of like how i was in the beginning when i i saw any kind of mushroom i didn't care what what it was i was fascinated by finding even a dried up mushroom (laughs) like uh old you know dead dried up mushroom it was like fascinating to for me to find something so I noticed that there was a lot of enthusiasm from people that came with me. They were happy to see anything. So I took them and I showed them the whole, you know, a lot of the diversity uh, up on the mountain and it, it started gaining momentum. So eventually I had to start teaching people uh, about, you know, ethical harvesting, you know, harvesting etiquette because Some some people are starting to go crazy and we're taking too much so i had to um reach out to forest services as well and you know let them know what was happening so they started making you know they published some rules um for our mountain ranges so that you know people had limits on how much they can take and i also educated the community on that you know and i still do that now we also uh clean up clean up trash while we're doing it so i instill a lot of good values and ethics behind what we do my favorite thing about it is um, educating the people educating the community teaching them helping them learn how to identify mushrooms so that they can successfully um harvest something that they can eat and take home and and experience the flavor and um all the magic that comes with mushrooms
0: yeah absolutely yeah, I, uh, I've been like assisting on forays because I don't know enough to actually lead <laughs> forays right now. But um, the Colorado Mycological Society does like uh, maybe four times a week, they do forays. Wow. So I've been doing it on the weekends. And um, yeah, I, I've learned so much just from from those experiences. And uh, I haven't like found anything that Interesting to be honest, but I, I just like, like you uh, said at the beginning, you know, you're, you're just fascinated by all of it, so that's where I'm at <laughs> right now.
1: Nice. Um, um well, are you guys foraging now? Is it season right now?
0: It's like just starting, we haven't gotten that much uh, rain, so it usually picks up like later in July and August. Um, we get like monsoons in the mountains, and that's when it really starts oh, picking
1: up but you guys get the monsoon so yeah soon. we
0: yeah yeah that's um cool. but we found some uh porcini porcinis the big one that's like starting right now that's co- colorado's you know big crown jewel um and then some some people find found anamita muscaria
1: That's cool. I want to forage in Colorado and I really want to go to the Telluride Mushroom Festival.
0: Yeah, me too. But it's um, expensive.
1: It's expensive. I was going to go this year. Every year I'm like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, and I never go. And this year I was going to go, but I'm so booked in August with the Southwest Funga Fest. And then I'm hosting um, another event in the White Mountains. And mm. I just don't know if I can make it up there, but I'll, if I do, I'll reach out to you. Yeah. I really want to forage in Colorado. I think that would be really cool.
0: Yeah, it's I mean, I just love getting out into the mountains and getting out in nature and kind of like I feel like a lot of times when you go hiking, you're, you know, looking up at the trees and the sky and stuff. So it's cool to like kind of shift your mindset so you're looking down at the at the ground and seeing all the exactly. stuff that's growing there.
1: Um yeah. But yeah, definitely hit me
0: up if you're if you're in Colorado.
1: Um you know what's cool about the Colorado is that uh in northern Arizona, <clears throat> we have pretty much all the species that you have in Colorado, we have them up there in the mountains. I think Yeah, it's when good you
0: were cool. describing like that mountain and all of the t- different ecosystems, uh, or like types of forests,
1: I'm like, that sounds a whole lot like Colorado. So yeah. that's cool. But also south of the I ten, there's mountain ranges. They're really close by, but it's for some reason, right? Just south of the I ten, those mountains are different. And People travel from all over um, the country to come to these mountain ranges because um, they are finding new species of mushrooms hmm. down there. Just just thirty minutes from here. Interesting. Different, like new species that haven't been described or identified before. And so, like David Aurora um, and Noah Siegel, a lot of people from the Bay Area and Washington they come down here and they are on the hunt for the new new bleeds and and new mushrooms it's really cool so i'm like right in the middle between the frontier where there's new mushrooms and then the other part where we have like the more colorado type of mushrooms nice
0: have you ever found anything yeah yeah i would love to visit sometime what's like your season um when, when is it like peak season
1: i'm doing the first forays this weekend oh all right Cool. Yeah, so it's been raining, um, mostly raining down south right there on south of the I-10. So it's been raining a lot in like the Santa Rita's, the Huachuca's and the Chiricawas. They've been getting a lot of rain. So that's where we're going on doing. We got rain on Mount Lemon yesterday, I think, and the day before. But that's going to take in a couple weeks to get season until things start popping up. Uh, there are reishi up there right now but I think we'll have most luck down in like Madera Canyon and those places for now.
0: Okay, last question for you and then I'll I'll let you go. So we've been talking mostly about like extracts and foraging, are there any other fields of mycology or or topics about mushrooms that you're following or interested in right now?
1: Yes, I've been, we're doing uh, PCR and electrophoresis. PCR and electrophoresis are methods of
0: DNA extraction and sequencing, uh, which is something Hernan has been really motivated behind recently. He goes on to explain how he actually found a species of Ganoderma, which is reishi, uh, that looked unique and suspected that it was a new species. Um, It took him a while to get it sequenced, but they eventually did last year Uh, which was a a couple years after he initially found it and it turned out to be a new species that had just been described recently in another part of the world. So he could have been the first to describe it and make some headlines which is really cool and um, he's hoping that uh, other things that he has found recently um, might end up turning back as unique when he gets them sequenced. He also has an interesting idea to develop a hybrid lion's mane strain using different uh, species of lion's mane around the world found in the wild and testing each of them for various active compounds and combining the ones with the strongest properties into sort of a super species of lion's mane. So that's a a cool long-term project that Hernan has. All right, well, that was a, about it for me. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about, or, or anything
1: you wanted to plug before I let you go? I encourage people to check out some of my videos, or maybe visit the website if they're interested in high-quality extracts um, and, and videos. You know, if they want to learn from like um, a really basic point of view, learn how to identify mushrooms. A lot of my videos offer easy characteristics and easy um, steps to identifying wild mushrooms, but there's a lot of work to do in mycology. And I think if we all all work together, we can advance the, the progress in, in the field. And um, I think it'd be really cool. If, I think a lot of people are interested in this and are gonna want to join, even as a citizen scientist, they can contribute a lot to, to mycology.
0: Episode 3, Hernan Castro, Desert Alchemist, Mushroom Tinctures, Lion's Mane. Man, oh man, lots of content coming your way. If you made it this far, I really appreciate you tuning in till the end. Um, One thing I will leave you with, if you're interested and you're in the Denver metro area, uh, Colorado Mycological Society is having a mushroom fair on Sunday. This Sunday, August six, I want to say. Uh, don't quote me on that, but this Sunday. And I will be there. I'm volunteering. Um, and if you want to just come and learn about mushrooms and kind of just see some of the specimens that people have been collecting, um, I'm very excited to see what's in store. And this will be at the Denver Botanic Gardens in the Herbarium, I believe. Um, but yeah, just uh, stop by. It's, it's all day on Sunday. I think it starts at one. Um, I will be there early, setting up and such. All right. I won't take up any more of your time. I will just say sayonara and much love, all my peeps. All right. Peace. Bye bye. How many different ways do you think I can say goodbye before? <laughs>